0: Chapter One The First Part of The Mystery of Thirty One New End This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Jeannie, nineteen fourteen. Chapter One Part One The Mysterious Patient As I look back through the years of my association with John Thorndyke, I am able to recall a wealth of adventures and strange experiences such as falls to the lot of very few men who pass their lives within hearing of big ben many of these experiences i have already placed on record but it now occurs to me that i have hitherto left unrecorded one that is perhaps the most astonishing and incredible of the whole series an adventure too that has for me the added interest that it inaugurated my permanent association with my learned and talented friend and marked the close of a rather unhappy and unprosperous period of my life memory retracing the journey through the passing years to the starting point of those strange events lands me in a shabby little ground-floor room in a house near the walworth end of lower kensington lane a couple of framed diplomas on the wall a card of snellen test-types and a stethoscope lying on the writing-table proclaim it a doctor's consulting-room and my own position in the round-backed chair at the said table proclaims me the practitioner in charge it was nearly nine o'clock the noisy little clock on the mantelpiece announced the fact and by its frantic ticking seemed as anxious as i to get the consultation hours over i glanced wistfully at my mud-splashed boots and wondered if i might yet venture to assume the slippers that peeped coyly from under the shabby sofa i even allowed my thoughts to wander to the pipe that reposed in my coat pocket another minute and i could turn down the surgery gas and shut the outer door the fussy little clock gave a sort of preliminary cough or hiccup as if it should say <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen i am about to strike and at that moment the bottle boy opened the door and thrusting in his head uttered the one word gentlemen. extreme economy of words is apt to result in ambiguity but i understood in kensington lane the race of mere men and women appeared to be extinct they were all gentlemen unless they were ladies or children even as the liberian army was said to consist entirely of generals sweeps laborers milkmen costermongers all were impartially invested by the democratic bottle boy with the rank and title of Arm and Jerry. the present nobleman appeared to favor the aristocratic recreation of driving a cab or jobmaster's carriage and as he entered the room he touched his hat closed the door somewhat carefully and then without remark handed me a note which bore the superscription dr stillbury you understand i said as i prepared to open the envelope that i am not dr stillbury he's away at present and i am looking after his patients it doesn't signify the man replied you'll do as well on this i opened the envelope and read the note which was quite brief and at first glance in no way remarkable dear sir iran would you kindly come and see a friend of mine who is staying with me the bearer of this will give you further particulars and convey you to the house yours truly h weiss there was no address on the paper and no date the writer was unknown to me this note i said refers to some further particulars what are they the messenger passed his hand over his hair with a gesture of embarrassment it's a ridiculous affair he said with a contemptuous laugh if i had been mr weiss i wouldn't have had nothing to do with it "'The sick gentleman, Mr. Graves, is one of them people what can't-a-bear doctors. "'He's been ailing now for a week or two, but nothing would induce him to see a doctor. "'Mr. Weiss did everything he could to persuade him, but it was no go. "'He wouldn't. "'However, it seems, Mr. Weiss threatened to send for a medical man on his own account, "'because, you see, he was getting a bit nervous, and Mr. Graves gave way, "'but only on one condition.' He said the doctor had to come from a distance, and was not to be told who he was, or where he lived, or anything about him. And he made Mr. Weiss promise to keep, to that condition, before he'd let him send. So Mr. Weiss promised, and of course he's got to keep his word. But, I said with a smile, you've just told me his name, if his name really is Graves. You can form your own opinion on that, said the coachman and i added as to not being told where he lives i can see that for myself i'm not blind you know we'll take the risk of what you see the man replied the question is will you take the job on yes that was the question and i considered it for some time before replying we medical men are pretty familiar with the kind of person who can't abear doctors and we like to have as little to do with him as possible "'He is a thankless and unsatisfactory patient. Intercourse with him is unpleasant. "'He gives a great deal of trouble, and responds badly to treatment. "'If this had been my own practice, I should have declined the case offhand. "'But it was not my practice. I was only a deputy. "'I could not lightly refuse work which would yield a profit to my principal, "'unpleasant though it might be. "'As I turned the matter over in my mind, "'I half unconsciously scrutinized my visitor.' somewhat to his embarrassment and i liked his appearance as little as i liked his mission he kept his station near the door where the light was dim for the illumination was concentrated on the table and the patient's chair but i could see that he had a somewhat sly unprepossessing face and a greasy red moustache that seemed out of character with his rather perfunctory livery though this was mere prejudice he wore a wig too not that there was anything discreditable in that and the thumbnail of the hand that held his hat bore disfiguring traces of some injury which again though unsightly in no wise reflected on his moral character lastly he watched me keenly with a mixture of anxiety and sly complacency that i found distinctly unpleasant in a general way he impressed me disagreeably i did not like the look of him at all but nevertheless i decided to undertake the case "'I suppose,' I answered at length, "'it is no affair of mine who the patient is or where he lives. "'But how do you propose to manage the business? "'Am I to be led to the house blindfolded, "'like the visitor to the bandit's cave?' "'The man grinned slightly and looked very decidedly relieved. "'No, sir,' he answered. "'We ain't going to blindfold you. "'I've got a carriage outside. "'I don't think you'll see much out of that.' "'Very well,' I rejoined, opening the door to let him out i'll be with you in a minute i suppose you can't give me any idea as to what is the matter with the patient no sir i can't he replied and he went out to see to the carriage i slipped into a bag an assortment of emergency drugs and a few diagnostic instruments turned down the gas and passed out through the surgery the carriage was standing at the curb guarded by the coachman and watched with deep interest by the bottle boy i viewed it with mingled curiosity and disfavour it was a kind of large brougham such as is used by some commercial travellers the usual glass windows being replaced by wooden shutters intended to conceal the piles of sample boxes and the doors capable of being locked from outside with a railway key as i emerged from the house the coachman unlocked the door and held it open how long will the journey take i asked pausing with my foot on the step The coachman considered a moment or two, and replied, "'It took me, I should say, nigh upon half an hour to get here. This was pleasant hearing.' a half-an-hour each way and a half-an-hour at the patient's house at that rate it would be half-past ten before i was home again and then it was quite probable that i should find some other untimely messenger waiting on the doorstep with a muttered anathema on the unknown mr graves and the unrestful life of a locum tenens i stepped into the uninviting vehicle instantly the coachman slammed the door and turned the key leaving me in total darkness One comfort was left to me. My pipe was in my pocket. I made a shift to load it in the dark, and, having lit it with a wax match, took the opportunity to inspect the interior of my prison. It was a shabby affair. The moth-eaten state of the blue cloth cushions seemed to suggest that it had been long out of regular use. The oil-cloth floor-covering was worn into holes. Ordinary internal fittings there were none. But the appearances suggested that the crazy vehicle had been prepared with considerable forethought for its present use. The inside handles of the door had apparently been removed. The wooden shutters were permanently fixed in their places, and a paper label stuck on the transom below each window had a suspicious appearance of having been put there to cover the painted name and address of the jobmaster or livery stable-keeper who had originally owned the carriage. These observations gave me abundant food for reflection. This Mr. Weiss must be an excessively conscientious man if he had considered that his promise to Mr. Graves committed him to such extraordinary precautions. Evidently no mere following of the letter of the law was enough to satisfy his sensitive conscience, unless he had reasons for sharing Mr. Graves' unreasonable desire for secrecy, for one could not suppose that these measures of concealment had been taken by the patient himself the further suggestions that evolved themselves from this consideration were a little disquieting whither i was being carried and for what purpose the idea that i was bound for some den of thieves where i might be robbed and possibly murdered i dismissed with a smile thieves do not make elaborately concealed plans to rob poor devils like me poverty has its compensations in that respect but there were other possibilities. Imagination, backed by experience, had no difficulty in conjuring up a number of situations in which a medical man might be called upon, with or without coercion, either to witness or actively to participate in the commission of some unlawful act. Reflections of this kind occupied me pretty actively, if not very agreeably, during this strange journey. And the monotony was relieved, too, by other distractions— I was, for example, greatly interested to notice how, when one sense is in abeyance, the other senses rouse into a compensating intensity of perception. I sat smoking my pipe in darkness, which was absolute save for the dim glow from the smouldering tobacco in the bowl, and seemed to be cut off from all knowledge of the world without. But yet I was not. The vibrations of the carriage, with its hard springs and iron-tired wheels— registered accurately and plainly the character of the roadway, the harsh rattle of granite sets, the soft bumpiness of macadam, the smooth rumble of wood pavement, the jarring and swerving of crossed tram-lines—all were easily recognizable, and together sketched the general features of the neighborhood through which I was passing, and the sense of hearing filled the details now the hoot of a tug's whistle told a proximity to the river a sudden and brief hollow reverberation announced the passage under a railway arch which by the way happened several times during the journey and when i heard the familiar whistle of a railway guard followed by the quick snorts of a skidding locomotive i had as clear a picture of a heavy passenger train moving out of a station as if i had seen it in broad daylight i had just finished my pipe and knocked out the ashes on the heel of my boot when the carriage slowed down and entered a covered way as i could tell by the hollow echoes then i distinguished the clang of heavy wooden gates closed behind me and a moment or two later the carriage door was unlocked and opened i stepped out blinking into a covered passage paved with cobbles and apparently leading down to a mews but it was all in darkness and i had no time to make any detailed observations as the carriage had drawn up opposite a side door which was open and in which stood a woman holding a lighted candle is dat the doctor she asked speaking with a rather pronounced german accent and shading the candle with her hand as she peered at me i answered in the affirmative and she then exclaimed i am glad you have come mr Weiss." will be so relieved. Come in, please.' "'I followed her across a dark passage into a dark room, "'where she set the candle down on a chest of drawers and turned to depart. "'At the door, however, she paused and looked back. "'It is not a very nice room to ask you into,' she said. "'We are very untidy just now, but you must excuse us, we have had so much anxiety about poor mr graves he has been ill for some time then yes some little time at intervals you know sometimes better sometimes not so well as she spoke she gradually backed out into the passage but did not go away at once i accordingly pursued my inquiries he has not been seen by any doctor has he no she answered he has always refused to see a doctor that has been a great trouble to us mr weiss has been very anxious about him he will be so glad to hear that you have come i had better go and tell him perhaps you will kindly sit down until he is able to come to you and with this she departed on her mission it struck me as a little odd that considering his anxiety and the apparent urgency of the case mr Weiss should not have been waiting to receive me and when several minutes elapsed without his appearing the oddness of the circumstances impressed me still more having no desire after the journey in the carriage to sit i whiled away the time by an inspection of the room and a very curious room it was bare dirty neglected and apparently unused A faded carpet had been flung untidily on the floor. A small, shabby table stood in the middle of the room, and beyond this three horsehair-covered chairs and a chest of drawers formed the entire set of furniture. No pictures hung on the mouldy walls. No curtains covered the shuttered windows, and the dark drapery of cobwebs that hung from the ceiling to commemorate a long and illustrious dynasty of spiders hinted at months of neglect and disuse the chest of drawers an incongruous article of furniture for what seemed to be a dining-room as being the nearest and best lighted object received most of my attention it was a fine old chest of nearly black mahogany very battered and in the last stage of decay but originally a piece of some pretensions regretful of its fallen estate I looked it over with some interest and had just observed on its lower corner a little label bearing the printed inscription lot 201 when I heard footsteps descending the stairs a moment later the door opened and a shadowy figure appeared standing close by the threshold good evening doctor said the stranger in a deep quiet voice with a distinct though not strong german accent i must apologize for keeping you waiting I acknowledged the apology somewhat stiffly, and asked, "'You are Mr. Weiss, I presume?' "'Yes, I am Mr. Weiss. "'It is very good of you to come so far and so late at night, "'to make no objection to the absurd conditions that my poor friend has imposed.' "'Not at all,' I replied. "'It is my business to go when and where I am wanted, "'and it is not my business to inquire into the private affairs of my patients.' "'That is very true, sir,' he agreed cordially, "'and I am much obliged to you for taking that very proper view of the case. "'I pointed that out to my friend, but he is not a very reasonable man. "'He is very secretive, and rather suspicious by nature. "'So I inferred, and as to his condition, is he seriously ill?' "'Ah,' said Mr. Weiss, "'that is what I want you to tell me. "'I am very much puzzled about him.' but what is the nature of his illness what does he complain of he makes very few complaints of any kind although he is obviously ill but the fact is that he is hardly ever more than half awake he lies in a kind of dreamy stupor from morning to night this struck me as excessively strange and by no means in agreement with the patient's energetic refusal to see a doctor but i ask does he never rouse completely Oh. "'Yes,' Mr. Weiss answered quickly. "'He rouses from time to time, and is then quite rational, "'and, as you may have gathered, rather obstinate. "'That is the peculiar and puzzling feature in this case, "'this alternation between a state of stupor "'and an almost normal and healthy condition. "'But perhaps you had better see him and judge for yourself. "'He had a rather severe attack just now. "'Follow me, please.' the stairs are rather dark the stairs were very dark and i noticed that they were without any covering of carpet or even oil cloth, so that our footsteps resounded dismally as if we were in an empty house i stumbled up after my guide feeling my way by the handrail and on the first floor followed him into a room similar in size to the one below and very barely furnished though less squalid than the other A single candle at the farther end threw its feeble light on a figure in the bed, leaving the rest of the room in a dim twilight. As Mr. Weiss tiptoed into the chamber, a woman, the one who had spoken to me below, rose from a chair by the bedside and quietly left the room by a second door. My conductor halted, and, looking fixedly at the figure in the bed, called out, "'Philip!' Philip, here is the doctor come to see you he paused for a moment or two and receiving no answer said he seems to be dozing as usual will you go and see what you can make of him i stepped forward to the bedside leaving mr weiss at the end of the room near the door by which we had entered where he remained slowly and noiselessly pacing backwards and forwards in the semi obscurity by the light of the candle i saw an elderly man with good features and a refined intelligent and even attractive face but dreadfully emaciated bloodless and sallow he lay quite motionless except for the scarcely perceptible rise and fall of his chest his eyes were nearly closed his features relaxed and though he was not actually asleep he seemed to be in a dreamy somnolent lethargic state as if under the influence of some narcotic i watched him for a minute or so timing his slow breathing by my watch and then suddenly and sharply addressed him by name but the only response was a slight lifting of the eyelids which after a brief drowsy glance at me slowly subsided to their former position i now proceeded to make a physical examination first i felt his pulse grasping his wrist with intentional briskness in the hope of rousing him from his stupor the beats were slow feeble and slightly irregular giving clear evidence if any were needed of his generally lowered vitality i listened carefully to his heart the sounds of which were very distinct through the thin walls of his emaciated chest but found nothing abnormal beyond the feebleness and uncertainty of its action then I turned my attention to his eyes, which I examined closely with the aid of the candle and my ophthalmic lens, raising the lids somewhat roughly so as to expose the whole of the irides. He submitted without resistance to my rather ungentle handling of these sensitive structures, and showed no signs of discomfort even when I brought the candle flame to within a couple of inches of his eyes. But this extraordinary tolerance of light was easily explained by closer examination for the pupils were contracted to such an extreme degree that only the very minutest point of black was visible at the centre of his grey iris nor was this the only abnormal peculiarity of the sick man's eyes as he lay on his back the right iris sagged down slightly towards its centre showing a distinctly concave surface and when i contrived to produce a slight but quick movement of the eyeball a perceptible undulatory movement could be detected the patient had in fact what is known as a tremulous iris a condition that is seen in cases where the crystalline lens has been extracted for the cure of cataract or where it has become accidentally displaced leaving the iris unsupported in the present case the complete condition of the iris made it clear that the ordinary extraction operation had not been performed, nor was I able on the closest inspection with the aid of my lens to find any trace of the less common needle operation. The inference was that the patient had suffered from the accident known as dislocation of the lens, and this led to the further inference that he was almost or completely blind in the right eye. End of the first part of Chapter 1 Recording by Jeannie Whitfield.